Hi, this is Andrew Hosteller. I want to thank you for joining me for this episode. This is a teaching I did in Nehemiah chapter 2, and we take a look at Nehemiah as he struggles with the burden that God has placed in his heart for the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. He is willing to go and to do it, but he needs God to open the doors. And we just take a look and see what we can learn from the life of Nehemiah. And uh, so I hope that this will be a blessing to you as you listen. And I'm praying that God will speak your hearts. Beginning in verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been been before time said sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? There is, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchre, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thine sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchre, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him, set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letter be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they, be, that they may jur- cover, convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the, of the, of the palace, which, <clears throat> of the palace which appertained to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter in. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your blessings, Lord, and your goodness, Lord. We ask that you just speak to our hearts, Lord, as we uh, study your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so here we have Nehemiah. Beginning of Nehemiah, he is a lowly uh, servant of the king in uh, Persia. He has attained a high office, Nehemiah has. He's become the uh, cupbearer to uh, the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And um, in, uh, in the first um, chapter, we notice that this is, uh, he gives the exact date, he gives the date um, for the beginning of the book when his uh, brother came, brothers came to him and uh, he asked about the Judah and Jerusalem and the city and the temple and the people, how things went there, and they gave him the report. They gave him a sad report of the condition of Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. The city was in ruin. The temple was there. Um, but the people were uh, sore afraid. And they were um, often uh, um, attacked and uh, abused. And they were uh, not doing well. After just 140 years after um, Jerusalem was destroyed, um, those that are living there are not doing well. And so we notice that this uh, Nehemiah begins 12 years after the end of the book of Ezra. It's 90 years after Zerubbabel. So 90 years they've been, they've been back in uh, the land after the exile. And uh, they've rebuilt that temple. It took them 
16 years to rebuild the temple, even though it only took four years to actually build it, but because of the troubles they had and so forth, now 90 years after that, and 140 years after the destruction of it. In uh, chapter 2 here, we notice he starts off, he says, It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, uh, Artaxerxes the king, and so he gives a second date. And we notice between the first date that he gives and the uh, second date he gives, the first date is that it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. We notice that these are just four months apart. There's four months gap between chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's, uh, um, it's an interesting uh, a time frame there in, uh, in the year. He marks it down as this is when he actually got the opportunity to talk to uh, King Artaxerxes. We notice that uh, he's, during this four-month period, what is going on in the life of Nehemiah? We know that he had great sorrow and a burden for his people in the city of Jerusalem. We, he recorded his prayer that he, was, that he prayed there at, at that time. And it would seem that this prayer was a continual prayer that he prayed unto the Lord. It was something he was constantly praying and burdened for these four months over, over this time. This took an emotional toll on him as he thought about the uh, Jerusalem and its walls and there was no one there to uh, take care of these things. And God had put this burden in his heart and uh, to do something about it. But what could he do? He's a man of high estate, but he was serving the king. And in order to, he wasn't, uh, he, he, in order to go and do this, he would have to get the king's approval. He would need the king's support to go do this thing, to rebuild the walls of the city. As in general, the rebuilding of the walls would automatically trigger a warning within the Persian uh, nation saying, oh, this city is about to rebel or might want to rebel. And so he needs the king on his side from the very, from the very beginning. And this is a restoration. The, the reason for the building of the walls is to protect the city, protect the inhabitants. But it's also a full restoration of the city after the exile that God had promised. And so it's taking in this emotion, he's burdened about it, he's praying about it, he's seeking God about it. And he knew that the only way this was ever going to take place, the only way the king's heart was going to be softened to his cause was if God softened his heart. If God changed the heart of the king and gave him a, an ear for the king. There are often many things that we can do, and there's often many things that God expects us to do. He gives us jobs. He gives us responsibilities, right? In the Christian life and our work and the specific calls that he calls us to do. But there's also things that only God can do, right? There's only things, there are things that are out of our control. They're out of our ability. They seem impossible tasks. They seem like gigantic doors that cannot be opened by our own, our own wit and wisdom or our own efforts. And it truly takes God's divine intervention to open up those doors and to soften hearts to people. The wonderful example of that has been, has been the, uh, um, the Jones family have, has they been trying, as they've, um, tried to get their daughters back to uh, Russia for the summer, uh, church events and the VBSs and the different, excuse me, the different outreaches, uh, different outreaches that are done during the summer. And with all the problems, all the geopolitical problems that they had, they had with COVID and all the different lockdowns, all the, all these different things were obstacles to it. And it seemed to, it seemed for all who looked at it, not, not impossible. And it was not impossible, but God opened up those doors in his timing 
and in his, in his wisdom. And that's what Nehemiah was praying for. He was praying that God would change the heart of the king, toward him, would soften the heart of the king towards him and give him favor with the king. He's waited these four months, four months while this has taken place. We have to wonder, what was God doing in the heart of Nehemiah during this time? What was, why did God delay four months? Why does it seem God delayed four months, right? Why, what was God, what did Nehemiah need? What was God doing in Nehemiah's heart during this time? And that's a big question always for us, right? We pray for something, man. We, we're, uh, you know, have it now kind of people, right? And it doesn't, it's not just our generation. Everybody's always been like this. I think we're a little bit more impatient in our time because we are used to getting things quickly and efficiently. But if we take that over in our prayer life, we're going to be sadly disappointed. We're going to give up praying before we need to give up praying. We're going to give up praying before God is done with us praying. And when God is ready for us to be done praying, then he will answer our prayers. Because we have a learning process during that time. We have to wait on the Lord for God's timing in it. And so what was God doing in the heart of Nehemiah during this time? Well, he was strengthening his resolve to accomplish what God had laid on his heart. Because he was wrestling with this, right? He was wrestling with God, with this. God, you've got this burden in my heart. How are you going to please fulfill this burden in my heart? Let me be the servant for you. Let me go and do this thing. But no doubt at some point in his, in his prayer, he probably may have gotten to the point where he said, Lord, either take this burden from me or answer this prayer. It just can't, I can't go continue on. In this sadness, in this sorrow, in this burden for my nation. But during that time and during that process of prayer, he's no doubt got a greater resolve to complete the task. God knew that Nehemiah is going to have some very large obstacles when he gets to where he's going. And we know that obstacles from these foreign nations, from these nations uh, around Jerusalem, we saw what that happened and what, what, how that affected Zerubbabel, right? We saw how that, was, that opposition came up from these same groups of people, from these same uh, kinds of men, and it stopped the work of the Lord for four, seven, 16 years. It stopped the building of the temple for 16 years. God didn't want that to happen this time. Since Nehemiah needed the resolve, a flinty, hardened resolve to accomplish a task on the timing that God gave him. Second of all, he, was given him, he gave him a vision for what needed to be done. He gave him a vision for what needed to be done. No doubt, I have no doubt that Nehemiah was a very intelligent man. He got a very high office. This office of cupbearer seems like a lowly position. He's just a simple servant. But he was responsible for the king's life, right? He had to be, he had to be, he had to be savvy to deception. He had to be savvy to trickery. He had to be savvy to, uh, the po- to poisons and understand the poisons and how people are assassinated. His job was to protect the king with his very own life. He was a taste tester, right? He tested everything, everything that the king ate. The truth is, the crazy thing is, is that they've never come up with a better system to protect government, to protect leaders of countries than a taste tester. And the president of the United States still has a taste tester to this day. The CIA agent or a, a Secret Service agent that sits in the kitchen, and he's, he's got to know how to cook things. He's got to know what ingredients go where. He sits in there and watches the cooks as they make the president's meal. And then he eats, tastes everything that's there to make sure that it's all okay and all good, all good before it goes up to the, um, uh, to the president and gives his approval, approval for it. 
Nehemiah was that guy for King Artaxerxes. No doubt he heard lots about politics, lots about how the Persian government worked, lots about different individuals throughout these nations. But he also had he had to understand and had to think about what was going to likely need to be done in rebuilding the wall, what the process was going to look like. The extent of what was going to happen there. He was going to rebuild the wall. He was going to reestablish the gates of the city. He had to have that vision clear in his mind. Thirdly, he was given, he, he was given him a plan to accomplish the task. God gave him a plan to accomplish the task. So while Nehemiah is in prayer about this, asking God about these things, he's also meditating upon the task at hand, right? And God's working in his heart saying, hey, this is how, there's a, why don't we make a plan, all right? How, if you get this opportunity, how are you going to do this? How are you going to actually get it done? It's very interesting. God is a plan maker. We see God's plans throughout the scriptures, the plans that God made, has made throughout the scriptures. And he's a plan maker. And sure, there's are times where there's exceptions and things happen rapidly and it seems like there's no plan. God's got everything in control. God's got a plan. But most of the time, we need to have a plan. When God calls us to do something, gives us a burden in our heart to do a work for him, then we have to have a plan on how we're going to accomplish it. We have to count the cost of what it's going to take to finish that job, right? And so like uh, uh, Brother Steve was talking about this morning, about uh, uh, um, works, buildings that were built and they were never finished because nobody had the plan <laughs> or they... They didn't have a plan. The one guy he was talking about, right, constantly changing the plan. He didn't stick to a plan, and he ran out of money and never finished his house. We have to count the cost. We have to make the plan. We have to know that we can finish the work and what we're going to need to do to finish the work. What was Nehemiah going to need to do? What did he need to complete this work? Well, first of all, he needed the king's favor and permission. So he was waiting on God for that. That wasn't something he could affect. Second of all, he needed a time frame that it would take to complete that. To complete that. Now, he didn't know that's the first thing that Hard Six is going to ask him. He's like, all right, what's your time frame? All right? If you want to go do this, I like you. You're good at your job. I want you back here. Okay? That was Hard Xerxes' position with Nehemiah. I just want you to come back. But what's your time frame to complete this task, right? Hard Xerxes was a smart man. No doubt it made sense to him when he was given that time frame. He needed a time frame that would, uh, would, that would take to complete. He needed letters to prove that he had the king's blessing. He's going to go back to, you know, back to Judah, which is on the backwaters of the world at this point, all right, as far as the Persian Empire is concerned, and broken down, and there's a little bit of a Wild West kind of scenario out there. And there were some powerful men out there who had no problem lying and sending messengers back to Persia to lie about Jerusalem and what was going on in Jerusalem, what Nehemiah was going to be doing. And so his, and so he needed letters to those men to prove that he had the king's permission. Fourthly, he needed to, he needed the protection on the journey. He needed the protection on the journey. And so this time, we notice that when Ezra went to Jerusalem, he had talked, he had talked up God so great, uh, to Artaxerxes. He said, God is so awesome. All right, like he's going to protect me. He's going to protect everybody that goes with me. And we're going to get to God. Just God protects his people. And so our, Ezra, when we, when we learned at him, Ezra said, uh, I'm really scared about this journey. It's a treacherous journey. But I can't go back to Artaxerxes and ask for protection, right? Because I said God was able to do it. 
And so he had to trust God. And they moved forward. God protected them all the way there. But Nehemiah's on a different timetable. He had to be there a little faster. He didn't have time to wander around like Ezra did and pick his way through on the right roads going to Jerusalem to avoid all of the obstacles and that would stop him along the way and rob them of their possessions along the way. Nehemiah had a faster journey. And so Nehemiah, ta- Nehemiah is happy to take the king's guards with him and they are, he's es- when he's escorted back to Jerusalem, it also showed the king's approval. So he needed protection for the journey. He also needs materials for the task. He needed materials for the tasks. And so it was one of his requests, right? Well, I need a letter to the, uh, to the guy who keeps the forest in Lebanon um, and uh, so I can get some timber from Lebanon to rebuild the gates of the city. So he had this plan. Nehemiah had this plan. God gave him this plan over this four-month period as he's been working this out with God in prayer and burden with God. We have to understand that those that time of preparation is important. That time of burden is important. That time of struggle is important to our growth, our spiritual growth, accomplishing what God says. We have to trust God through the process that he's taking us, right? The process is, is often different every time. So we have to trust God through that process that he's taking us. <clears throat> As a cupbearer to the king, The king trusted him with his life, his reputation, his discretion, and his wisdom, right? With such a trusted and important person, position, he needed permission for leave of absence, as well as the financing to accomplish the vision that God had given him to do. In verse 2, in chapter 2 here, it says, he says, um, at the end of verse 1, he says, Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. I'd never been sad in the presence of of the king. He marks this out. Nehemiah marks this out as an important thing because it was a law. It was a common law in ancient uh, civilizations that, uh, that you could not be sad in the presence of the king or the emperor, which means you couldn't be sad, depressed, okay, um, in any way in the presence of the king or the emperor because he was, because the king was so wonderful of a person his very presence would bring joy to your life. <laughs> That's what they thought about a, about a man, right? A leader, a king. That he was so awesome that even if you were depressed, your depression would flee in his presence. But that wasn't the case. That wasn't the reality. But Nehemiah kept the law. Anyway, he'd never been sad in his presence. And so we see that burden that was on him and that sadness it's just oozing out of him at this point because it's wearying his soul. It's wearying his heart as he, goes, as he goes through that process. And the king noticed that something was troubling him. The king noticed it was troubling him and it was not a physical ailment, but it was a deeper sorrow. He knew there was something in his heart that made him to sorrow so deeply. In verse 2 he says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid. He was afraid that uh, the king would alleviate him of his depression <laughs> in a execution <laughs> type manner. Uh, they didn't have Prozac, not going to help, but, uh, but Excalibur was their solution <laughs> to the problem. So he was sad. He was, he was a little bit afraid, a little bit afraid there. But, verse 3 says, and said unto, he said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should I not be, uh, my countenance be sad? With the city, the place of my fathers, 
sepulcher lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. The king noticed that there was something troubling him, something that was sorrowing him. And he had a tender concern for his servant and, I think, probably a friend. The relationship was more than a professional relationship, but it was personal. The very close he would get, no doubt, from being close to his to this Nehemiah. But he was genuinely concerned for his well-being. He was genuinely concerned. He could have been haughty. He could have been arrogant. He could have been, let's kill this guy. But he had a genuine concern for Nehemiah. And he said, hey, what's, what's bothering you? What's bothering you? And it reminds us that we should have a genuine concern for others. We should really care about others, even if we don't know people. Right? We should care about others. We should have concern for them and try to help those in need. Oftentimes we, we, stay, we start our conversations, right? Everywhere we go, hey, how you, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Hey, you know, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? I heard recently a, a Russian man answered that question. An American answer, asked him, hey, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine, like all Americans. I'm fine, like all Americans. Not that we're all fine, but we understand that we're not really asking how someone's doing, right? We're not really wanting that laundry list of troubles, right? Once in a while, I'll ask somebody that, and uh, um, they'll tell you how <laughs> things are going on. And they'll, they'll unload, right? We ought to be concerned. We ought to, take, we ought to be concerned for them. We ought to be happy to listen to them. We ought to take that opportunity to pray for them. I'm not always so fast in my thoughts. I'm a little backwards sometimes. I always think about the right thing to say about five minutes after I left <laughs> the situation. Anybody else like that? That's, that's generally me in those situations. But we put it on the forefront of our minds and say, hey, Lord, who can I, who can I help today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I generally be concerned for today, Lord? Second of all, we all need to have deep friendships, relationships, deep friendships, relationships. So many of us today only have superficial relationships that we're easy to discard if we find a problem in them with them. If something, somebody does something we don't like, we can, just, we can just throw them away and move on because we don't want to get too deep with people. But when you have deep friendships, you engage in deep friendships with people, you're going to have disagreements, but you're not going to be able to walk away. Because you genuinely care for them. You care, you love them as a friend. And so you have to deal with the conflict. And you have to work through it. You have to accept them as they are. Even if you disagree. Because when we're truly friends, we're truly engaged with one another. We have deep friendships, relationships with one another. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to seek out those things. I think there's a lot of people in the world that are seeking deep friendships. The thing that most often gets that gets pushed out there as friendships are superficial friendships on the on the internet that have nothing lasting, no real concern there. It's empty. I think there's a lot of people looking for real friendships, personal, one-on-one friendships. Nehemiah answers the king at his concern. He answers the king. The first thing he says was a proper was a proper respect. Oh, king, live forever. That's something he probably said a million times a day. 
I don't know how often they had to say that. Probably every time you came into the kings. Oh, king, live forever, right? And you're just thinking, oh, king, live forever. Then boom, right? And he says, oh, king, live forever. But then he says, why should my heart not sorrow? And then he made it clear what his sorrow was about. Sorrow was about his people. Yeah, he was a conquered nation. He was a descendant of a conquered nation, living in thousands of miles away from his homeland. But he had still had a deep burden for his nation, for his people, for the city for, of his heritage. He made clear of his sorrow. He said, why should I not be sorrow? How can I not be sad? The truth is there are some good reasons to be sad in the world. There's really good reasons to be sad. We have when we lose friends and people, you know, people pass away, whether friends or family, we're supposed to feel sad, right? When things are going badly, right? When job, you don't have jobs, sometimes you get a little depressed when you don't have a job or you, you get a little sad when, you, when things aren't going well. And that's, that's natural for us to feel badly at those times. And so many times people are, in our American culture, we, nobody wants to be, feel sad at all, right? Like, you know, oh, I'm going to go get a drug, I'm going to go get some Prozac, I'm going to go get something to make me feel happy. For far too long, too many doctors have been handing out, just say, you know, what, all right, we'll give you whatever drug you want to make you feel happy. But it doesn't help. It doesn't help. It's artificial. And there are real reasons to be sad. And we're, we're sad because we've got to deal with something, right? We've got to real, deal with the realities of life. We have to deal with the realities of our own mortality. That sadness oftentimes should take us to, the, to our knees like it did with Nehemiah. It took him to his knees. It took him back to God. It took him back to the only person who could answer this problem. And there are good reasons to be sad. And so he made a case for a sorrow in his, in his things, in these things. Um, made this, all, these, all these, these things. And then verse 4 says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? For what dost thou make request? He says, What are you, what are you asking for, Nehemiah? What are you asking for? What can I do? How can I help? What can I do to help you? What a response, right? <laughs> From the emperor of the world, of the, of the largest empire at that time, right? What can I do? He's got everything, right? He's got all the money he needs. He's got all the authority he needs. What can I do? And certainly the king, he, he could help Nehemiah in this instance. <clears throat> Nehemiah knew that at that moment, at that moment when, when Artaxerxes said, what are you asking for? Nehemiah knew that at that moment that God had opened the door. This door he's been waiting for all this time. God opened that door and opened the heart of the king to him. It's interesting to see what Nehemiah does here. He says, and, he, and I said, um, he says there in verse 4, he says, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king. And he's been praying this long prayer. You guys just imagine he's been praying long prayers to God for four months, recorded there in verse 1, or chapter 1. And then he says, I made a prayer to the Lord at this moment. He didn't stop and make another long prayer. It was a quick prayer, right? He said, Lord, help me. I got this plan. Here's the plan. Lord, help me as I do this. And he said unto the king, I please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. 
And the king said unto me, The queen also sitting by him, For how long shalt thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So I, it pleased the king to send me, and I sent, set him a time. He just goes into the plan. He had the plan. He tells the king exactly what he needs. And this is possible because he had a plan. And he was ready when the door opened up. He was ready when the door opened up. Because he spent four months in prayer. He spent four months in preparation. He spent four months waiting on God to open the door. When God opened the door, he was ready to run through it. Run through it with all his his bags. (laughs) And everything he needed. We're reminded that when when we're dealing with God, we've got to wait on God. Trust him to the process that he's doing in our hearts. When God gives us a burden, he gives us a plan to accomplish it. When God gives us a plan that seems impossible, he's going to do the impossible. When God gives us a plan, he expects us to see it through to the end. That means there's a lot of, going to be a lot of hard work that we must do to finish the job. It's going to take sweat and effort, but it's going to bring glory to God. It's going to complete God's will in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. We ask that you just help us to live for you, Lord, to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, help us to learn from Nehemiah and how to struggle through with you, that you burden our hearts, that you give us tasks to do, as you speak to us, Lord, and use us for your glory. Help us, Lord, to do your will, we pray. In Jesus' name.